Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Cat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 219, Just One Soul Touching Another. This week we're discussing season 7, episode 13 of Buffy, The Killer in Me, and season 4, episode 18 of Battlestar Galactica, Deadlock. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Buffy is first. The killer in me. Um, mm. Wanted to start with the Willow Kennedy part of the plot. Um, and specifically, we wanted to start with Kennedy first um, because uh, as noted by our outline here um she is definitely uh, of the potential seems to be the one that's being put in the most prominent position by the story and the writing and everything um the potentialist yes so yeah <laughs> so yeah you kind of wanted to talk about this idea of kennedy as a special potential and i guess there's a couple things there or there's maybe two levels one is like we can see that she's special from the point of view of the writing in the sense that she is getting more screen time or more detailed characterization than some of the others. She's being set apart and given more to do. So we can kind of see she's special from that meta point of view. But mm -hmm. I guess it also then begs the question, does that mean that she's special in the story as apart from the other potentials? Is there something about her, which is is a reason why they want to focus on her a little bit more than some mm -hmm. of the others? Um, or is it just a function of wanting to choose a character to get to know a little bit better? And it's not that she's different or special or better in any way. It's just that maybe we picked somebody to uh, give a little more nuance to or to become one of the Scoobies or to get closer to Willow or whatever it is. Um, so sure. you don't have to answer those questions definitively, but um, <laughs> wanted to hear your perspective since you sort of brought up the topic. Yeah, so, and I, I'm not trying to lead anything by calling her like a special potential. I, I, I was focusing more on from the writer's perspective of like they are sort of picking her but i think those are good questions like to ask of like well why are they picking her and like i think there's a few things so one i think we've already gotten hints in previous episodes of like she's the oldest of the potentials and like here we see like they have drinks i mean i guess technically we don't know if they're alcoholic drinks but like mm -hmm. They probably are. They seem like they are. Like, mm -hmm. and she talks about like getting girls drunk and seeing if they kiss you. And like, seems to like at least be older than twenty one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, as far as that sort of things goes, which, which is kind of old for someone who could be called as a slayer. Like, Buffy was called when she was sixteen, and like, you know, all of the other potentials that we've seen seem to be in that like mid teenager range. Right. Um, which is interesting too because like just from a like well she's one of the potentials that hasn't been killed like what happened like I don't know that we ever get an answer to this but just throwing us out there like what what is the 
we know that the expected lifespan of a slayer is pretty short. Is that also true of potentials? Like, like are there potentials out there who are like 45 or 50 years old? Mm-hmm. Or is that like, by virtue of being a potential, they also like have a much shorter lifespan? Maybe not as short as a slayer, but like maybe tend not to make it out of their mid 20s or something like that, you mm-hmm. know? Um, I don't know. Like, I, you know, that's just maybe like even as a potential, like she might seem kind of old. Um, right, right. Which I, and I say that, you know, tongue in cheek. Obviously, yes. she's not old. It's it's all relative. Right. right, old for a slayer. Yeah. Right. Um. So I think in that respect, there's a sense that she's special and that she's the oldest, at least of the potentials that we know about and have had chance to see interacting on screen so far. Mm-hmm. Um. There's obviously also the Willow connection. Um, and just the fact that she's shacking up with one of the Scoobies, mm-hmm. um, kind of literally now, um, mm-hmm. maybe like, I mean, all right, they had they slept together that we know of at this point, but like, there seems to be something starting up there and they've been sleeping at least in the same room, mm-hmm. um, even if Willow's on the floor or whatever. And so like, there's that aspect of it. Um, there's also, I think, an aspect of, like, we've seen that she's privileged, right? Like, she's talked about mm-hmm. having wings in her home and, like, you know, uh, th- th- those are, like, not Balrog wings, but, like, you know, architectural wings. Um, but they, uh, you know, she's talked about that. And so, like, there's also sort of, like, an entitlement, mm-hmm. which could maybe be a tongue-in-cheek specialness right of like Mm -hmm. she gets what she wants in ways that other people don't Mm -hmm. um including like the girl like willow like in their pursuit of you know whatever love interest she has um Mm -hmm. there's that um so yeah so like does this all add up to something more like is it, are we priming like Kennedy to be the next slayer somehow or, or what? Like, or is this just like, I mean, is this a sort of typical weed and ruse of like highlight someone and then like, we're going to kill her later or, you know, there's lots of, well, there's lots of potential uh, there for, you know, different things to happen. But yeah, I mean, I just think by virtue of the fact like that she, um, even like, as far as like getting, get having her way right like she in this episode gets to stay home for being sick even though she's not kind of sick and like like willow doesn't even try that hard to actually like make her join the others like like even when it's found out that like she's not really sick she's like oh well now xander's gonna have to drive you and then kennedy's just like oh well you know we don't have to do that and like they don't do that (laughs) like there's there's yeah not much on Willow's part of an effort to like actually sort of enforce Kennedy being part of the group with the other potentials. Right. Um, So, yeah, I don't, I mean, any thoughts about any of those things or additional ways that you might consider her to be like a, a special, and and that's just, that's just my term for it. Like, that's not like, I don't think there's any like Whedon scholars or even like fans and stuff calling Kennedy special. In fact, 
they call Kennedy lots of things, and special isn't one of them, um, typically used of her. Um, and we can get into that aspect of her character as well, yeah. maybe in a bit. But yeah. Uh, like, yeah, any any thoughts about that and, and like yeah. Kennedy as being special or anything? Well, maybe that's a good segue into that part of it because I felt like earlier in the first couple episodes she was in, it was more, if she was a standout, it, it was more in that sense of maybe increased experience of a little bit older, or she would take more of a leadership, you know, role in what was going on, maybe because she'd heard about some of these things before. And like, so she was the first one to like, okay, we can grab weapons and we can defend ourselves. Like, so there was a kind of initiative taking, which, um, you know, could mark her out as special more than the others of somebody who kind of knows maybe a little bit more what they're doing, or at least is willing to try when the others are still kind of scared or getting used to the idea. She was the one that was most eager to just jump in and help and learn. And I think that could kind of mark her out as a little bit special. Um, but I feel like in the last couple, like since that one, you know, you mentioned about uh, the the conversation about her house having wings and everything. Um, mm -hmm. I think what's, what that's changing more into is that idea of, of privileged. Um, mm -hmm. And I feel like that goes with kind of what we see here of, yeah, she takes kind of what she wants and goes for it and does take initiative and is forward in that way. But also there's a presumption here that maybe the rules don't apply in the, and not just in a, in a rebellious, oh, I'm not going to follow these stupid, you know, the letter of the law kind of thing. But like, if they're going out in the desert to have their vision quests, you don't want to do that. Like, that's not important. Like as a potential slayer, like, you know, it's not just about following the rule book. It's also about like, she's missing out on a formative event that seems like is a big deal for these potential slayers to make contact with this first slayer and have this vision quest and have that kind of spiritual guidance of you know what might be your calling so the fact that she can kind of dismiss that it certainly conveys her attitude towards the importance of that as a thing worth doing um yeah so but here's a question that maybe i'll throw out to you because the attitude of like the rules don't apply to me mm -hmm. buffy exhibits that a lot Sure, absolutely. As as the Slayer. So is th is that an argument against her being special Slayer-like or as being more special Slayer-like? And, I, and I, I honestly don't know my own thoughts about this off the top of my head. So if, yeah. if you don't either, that's perfectly fine. But um, well, and I, I th and yeah. sorry, sorry yeah. can I just add on to that? That like, also, Buffy didn't go on her like, first slayer vision quest until end of season four uh-huh right like so there's also that like she was a slayer for four years before she did that 
um, sort of thing. So like, you know, maybe it's okay. Like maybe it's not that important for like brand new potentials, not even slayers yet to like not do the whole like first slayer thing. Sure. Um, and that might be true. And uh, like, I think what it does convey is her attitude i don't think it confirms one way or the other sure. if she's right about that and i think that's the open question is sure. is she is she's certainly acting like she's exceptional you know um and maybe that's stronger than she would than she would state it but at least by implication that this isn't you know that this trip isn't more important than what she would rather be doing so I guess the, the, the open... Which is Willow. Yes. <laughs> to, not to put too fine a point on it. Um, maybe she's right about that. Maybe maybe the vision quest isn't more important than her relationship with Willow. Um, and so if so, fair enough. But like I don't know that I can definitively answer that one way or another. Like I think yeah. Like the question of is she correct about that is you know remains to be kind of seen um the other i and maybe this is the same sort of thing but like the other question that i was just sort of thinking of is to what extent is a slayer as a slayer privileged as well like Mm -hmm. does have does like like kennedy's privilege obviously is like financial and you know in her family and and you know financial resources and stuff but like a slayer has strength and power that nobody else has so like is that a type of privilege sure that isn't available to the potentials or or anyone else Hmm. um and so not to say that like but therefore like someone who is privileged should then be a slayer like that's not the argument i'm trying to make but uh obviously like faith doesn't have the same financial and experiential privileges that you know kennedy has had you know Mm -hmm. or that kind of thing and even buffy like you know comes from a split home and like you know middle class but not like upper middle class you know like certainly Mm -hmm. doesn't have the same level of privilege as kennedy and that kind of thing too so i'm not necessarily trying to say that but just like just curious as to like what what extent maybe is even just the act, the fact of being a slayer mm-hmm. a certain type of privilege yeah well and that's true i think you can see some of that with faith who doesn't have financial or social privilege in that way but in some ways even more than buffy and kennedy here had a kind of rules don't apply to me attitude of yeah um i mean i would say like Buffy had a kind of more maybe healthy attitude of of I ignore the rules when they don't make sense and but she still had a sense of responsibility that I mean she grew into it somewhat there was maturing that happened but also had a sense of her duty as or or awareness of her privilege I guess as a slayer whereas I think Faith more embodied that um her the the power mad aspect of it of having all the suddenly being gifted all this 
this strength and this power and not really knowing how to use it mm. and how to wield it um, carefully so as not to hurt people. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, um, whereas so maybe like the 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 question is which of those two, which kind of rule breaker is Kennedy, you know? Um, mm. And sure. And, you know, and maybe she's not one you know exactly one way or the other maybe right maybe she's a, a, a third point entirely um yeah 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 no that's a good point so but i um, mean if you're looking for clues i guess as to who the next slayer could be i mean there's the fact that she gets more screen time but there's also that idea of like maybe this kind of attitude of this this cavalier i'm gonna do what i want sort of way of living might be a, a hint that do, there's do you something think, you know uh different about her i guess yeah i guess it boils down to you know do you think joss whedon is such a prick that he would kill off another of willow's girlfriends this year? <laughs> um well i mean <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to decide about joss one way or the other um <laughs> we're, we're gonna leave questions as to, the, as to how much of a prick joss whedon is um uh, for another day yeah uh yeah i mean probably not but also maybe the fact that i think that means that of course he'll do it so <laughs> i mean right and it's easy for me to, to sit say? back and yeah you know wonder um so uh, okay so i alluded earlier to the things that people call Kennedy and we won't be as mean as maybe some, but I will acknowledge that in, in the fandom, there are people who hate Kennedy more than Dawn mm -hmm. and potentially even more than Connor. <laughs> so do with that what you will. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to prejudice one. I, I didn't bring this up like in the first episode because mm -hmm. like, I feel that would be unfair. But now that we've seen her a little while, mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of it is the privilege aspect that mm -hmm. people dislike. Um, I think a lot of it is reaction to how much people love Tara. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, but at the same time, like there are then those people who are like Willow and Oz forever. And, like, don't like Tara because of that. So sure. it's, like, how much of that can you really roll into? Right. How um, is it, like, the shipping wars of who, and, who is Willow's one true love and everything? And, and, like, any of the more, any of the characters that we really get to know. Now, I mean, obviously, just by virtue of the fact that we're already in season seven and Kennedy was introduced several episodes in to the season like we're not even going to get a full season to right. get to know her that well right and so you can't even necessarily compare her to like some of those other characters who right. you know like connor's on a couple of seasons of angel at least and you know i mean already that we've seen and and dawn is you know introduced at the beginning of season five and or well sorry the end of I'm getting my season picked up. The end of season five, beginning of season six, right? No. No, she comes in the beginning she of season comes in. five. In the beginning of season, yeah, okay, I was right there. That's the first time, right? Yeah. Um. Anyway, right at it, with the Dracula episode, um, I was getting confused. 
anyway, so, uh, you know, we've had her for around for a few. So, like, I don't even know if it's a fair comparison to, like, mm-hmm. you know, for someone that we don't know quite as well. I will admit my own personal feelings is that I'm sort of meh with Kennedy as a character. Mm-hmm. I feel like since I've been watching this time, I've been trying to at least, like, like I'm doing the Corey Olson, you know, referencing C.S. Lewis of, like, wherein does the badness mm-hmm. of her character, you know, consist. Um, and I I do think just based on what I, you know, where we've gotten to this point, like, that there are some points in Kennedy's favor that we could talk about. Because, like, you mentioned, like, the her willingness to, like, go out and fight. Like, I do feel like there's a... Uh, a certain amount of as within the group of the potentials like she definitely seems to be at the top of that like willingness to accept their fate and position and like where they are now um you know maybe we don't like that she's kind of rich and snobby and gets her way at times but Mm -hmm. like i also do think that like there's a genuineness to her that like even if so I feel like this is a sort of thing with like people who are direct uh and you know I tend not to be always the person who like is out I, there are times when I'm very outspoken there are times where like I'm also very not outspoken and like mm-hmm. don't speak up and like so having that side of my personality, like, I feel like there are definitely times where, like, even if you don't necessarily like the things that a person stands for, like, the upfrontness and honesty and, like, directness about what they want and what they're trying to achieve is kind of refreshing in a way. Mm-hmm. But I think there are a lot of people who are put off by that as well. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder how much of that part of her character is, like, is just a response to the, to her you know, mm-hmm. I want this, and so I'm going to keep going after it until I get it. Like, there's both, there's things to admire and things not to admire in that sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I don't think it's as easy as, like, you can necessarily just hate or not hate someone based on that. Like, right. I think if we approach her as, like, someone who is potentially more complex, we will actually see some of the complexity that mm-hmm. she does have. Um, so... I would say while I'm I'm historically not like Camp Kennedy or anything like I'm also like I think using this particular watch through and and the slowness with which we're doing it to like maybe reevaluate mm-hmm. some of the reasons why maybe people are as put off by her as mm-hmm. they are. Yeah. Um, so Well, and I think a lot of times with women and female characters i was just talking to a coworker about this like the line between assertiveness and aggressiveness and what's the difference and why people are rubbed the wrong way by you know women in particular who are that way and is it the the pushiness of her character i think is would be my guess as to what's rubbing people the wrong way i feel like especially after tara and that's probably the 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 real problem here is you're coming well really Oz and Tara 
with like if they had one thing in common in their relationships with Willow, it was like there was a cuteness and a sweetness to those relationships. Like they were very lovable, like in those those couples. Um and in some ways, again, totally different from each other. So like you're saying, it's even hard to compare all these different things because they're so different that how do you even really like compare apples and oranges in terms of, you know, which one was quote better. But I think that's what Kennedy doesn't have is, is that sweetness, you know, or that kind of cute, lovable characteristic. Um, and some people don't, that's not the end of the world. That's not to say that everybody has to be that way or that all couples have to be that way, or maybe they wanted to take Willow in a different direction and put her with a different kind of person, not just have her with Tara 2.0 again and everything. And at least sure. they're not trying to like replace her with somebody who, you know, is, is Tara light or something. Um, but that would be my guess is like Willow has always been with uh, or, or her successful relationships have been with very nice, sweet people, kind of like she was. And so here they have her with somebody very different who's assertive or aggressive or outspoken or honest, whatever you want to call it, but is not doesn't have that same kind of like all endearing like aren't they adorable kind of quality um so yeah it's not as easy to kind of fall in love with i guess um mm. but yeah and i and i'm kind of like the same way like i don't know that i hate her i don't know that i particularly like her either like i think she's kind of I'm still kind of getting to know the sure. character and the performance to know how well, like, do I feel strongly about her? Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I'll, I'll kind of keep an eye out and I'll try not to be biased. Um, but it's not as so far, it's not as like, Oh my gosh, what were they thinking as like Connor and Cordy? Like, Sure. There's at least like a plausibility to a certain extent of, you know, that that she and Willow are into each other. And I guess like maybe the fact that she is different from Oz and Tara might be part of the appeal of like, I think Willow enjoys the flattery, you know, that like, mm. here comes this, you know, she's been so kind of stuck in the mire of her, her her grief and her loss which we'll get into but suddenly here turns up this you know this kind of hot young woman who just talks about how great she is and so i feel like willow sure. is kind of like who doesn't love that into that you know <laughs> so um maybe the fact that she's not kind of shy and and exactly like Tara or Oz would have been is maybe one of the reasons why they're you know getting closer so yeah. all right well we've talked about a half hour about Kennedy 
Um, well, and we okay, so we kind of <laughs> maybe a little bit covered the faking sick aspect of it, but like sure, you you can so in the in a glass half full scenario, this is Kennedy being bold and you know getting what she wants and being honest with Willow, and then if the glass is half empty, this is her shirking her responsibility and acting like these rules don't apply to her and everything. Um, and maybe it's both. So, but that's what she does is, is skip out on their trip to the desert. Um, and kind of very transparently pretend that she has some other mission and she doesn't, it's like her mission is to get Willow. Um, so they go, uh, for some drinks at the bronze. Um, Anything about like their conversations um, there? I mean, I think that's kind of the most. The, 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 sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say like, that's the most obvious section where it's, it's Kennedy kind of talking Willow up a bit and kind of saying what it is that um, she sees at her and kind of starting to catalog all the little, it's not just like, Oh, she has a, a first impression anymore. It's like now she's getting to know her. So it's little things like apparently they watch Moulin Rouge a lot. So she knows that they, oh, she always pauses it at chapter 32. Um, yeah. And like she likes her freckles and, you know, and she's apparently doesn't really dig the magical stuff that much, but she likes Willow's, you know, interest and passion for that. So she's right. starting to kind of try to point out like actual yeah. characteristics that she's rather than just being like, oh, I'm attracted to you based on a first impression. Right. Well, and it starts out that way, though, right? Like, it's like, have you seen yourself? Like, right. you're kind of like that, you know, well, you're you're kind of hot or whatever, you know, from that, you know, initial attracted attraction or whatever to. And this is why I think like. I think Kennedy does have, and like, what's interesting is like, I don't get, I don't get the same sense from Kennedy as you do from like someone like Cordelia of like, or at least Cordelia in the early seasons of no filter. Right. Like, right. I think Kennedy does have a filter and she chooses not to use it or she chooses to like whatever filter she might have. It's like, yeah, that's there. But like, I'm actually okay with just saying what I think. Like, it's a different sort of, I don't think it's just a personality thing of like, I'm going to say the first thing that comes to my mind. I think it's like, it, it seems more deliberate to me of like, and I, I don't know that I can put a reason per se why, but it just seems that way of like, that it's more deliberate that she's she's choosing to just, use the truth and to say what she feels and thinks rather than just blurting out what she believes and thinks. Does, does that distinction make sense? Am yeah. I well, and I think we haven't, maybe we just haven't seen her in those situations yet, but there's also less of the bitingness that Cordy had early yeah. on of like, yeah, yeah. she would tell the truth about the bad stuff as well, like about all your flaws and call them out and not in always the kindest way. Um, at least in those early seasons, whereas I don't see Kennedy, she's not going around telling everybody 
exactly what their problems are. You know, I mean, she's, she's upfront about like, she's not shy about expressing her opinion, but she's also not just like being thoughtless and careless with people's feelings either from what I can tell. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's right. But I also like, like she doesn't, it's not just like, I like you because of the way you stopped the Moulin Rouge DVD at whatever. She also does say like, I don't, I don't get the magic stuff, but it's kind of cool that you, that you like it. But she, like she said, it seems like fairy tale crap to me. Like, like she's not, I mean, she's blunt about it Mm -hmm. and like expresses her thoughts about it, but it's not like you said, like, it's not like in a bad way. It's not like, she's just like admitting, like, I don't, I don't get this part of you, but like, it matters to you. And so, so that's cool. Like, that's fine. Um, and then, if, I mean, we can talk about the later stuff where she's like, I think I'm starting to get it, but like, I think there, yeah, that genuineness and honesty there, I think is, is really mm-hmm. in her favor. Um, because it does, because I think, I think the tendency could be with someone who's as privileged as she clearly is to think like that she'll just say and do anything to get her way. Mm-hmm. And she does say and do things to get her way. But I don't I don't get the feeling that she's just saying and doing anything. Mm-hmm. Like she she seems to be wanting to do it in a way where she's at least like honest and upfront. And that seems to work for her. And maybe now maybe if it didn't work for her, maybe that would be a different story and she would start lying and and whatever and maybe we can look to see if that happens at any point in time. Mm -hmm. But like there is, there is a nice sort of refreshing idea to that of, you know, to that idea of I'm going to say what I want and I hope it has the results that I want, but I'm going to be like honest about it and upfront. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, All right, so I guess we'll get into the Warren stuff, um, which is kind of the, the the meat of, you know, the, the Willow part of the episode. Um, so they, you know, they go back from the bronze, they go back to their room. Like you said, they're, they're shacking up, but they're not really fully shacked up. Maybe they were headed that direction and uh, that gets interrupted. Um, by Willow after their first kiss, Willow turning into Warren. Um, you know, which in the short term leads to some kind of mistaken identity comedy. Sure. Um, you know, of people <clears throat> like Buffy punching right. him. And, and, yeah. and I, almost, I almost feel like some of this is like, it's like, yeah, like what can we do to like, Warren to like we never I mean obviously Buffy fought with him but it's like it was ultimately Willow at the end who just sort of like summarily kills him mm-hmm. and so it's like you know what 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 little like last little jabs can we get into Lauren here? right sure like we never really got to like slap him around too much for yeah, yeah. um so I'm wondering I like I'm struggling with whether or not to to jump ahead to kind of the reveal of what the 
Maybe I'll hold off yeah, on, on, think... on the nature of the spell. Um, well, everyone's seen the episode by now if they're watching, right? right? So we well, can talk about. So I guess like the what's the interesting part of it when we find out that, you know, it's Amy's spell and that what she says about how she doesn't choose the form that it takes, that it's like the subconscious of the person who picks the, the their own form of punishment. Um, they turn into the thing that would cause them the most pain. Um, I guess that's kind of what I want to dig into a little bit here is with Willow, this idea of choosing the image of Warren, um, you know, which is like kind of messed up on multiple levels. I mean, her first reaction to, uh, to Kennedy is that it's the man that I killed. So there's an element of her guilt and her regret over what she did. Um, but by the end, I think that's less of the point than the connection of Warren as the person who killed Tara and Willow's feelings of guilt about that. That there's somehow she kind of has, you know, turned into blaming herself for the whole situation of what all happened with, you know, with Tara dying and now with this idea of moving on and potentially moving on to a new partner, the idea of like, that's the last nail in the coffin of, you know, she's really going to be dead. Like she says at the end. Um, and, and so she becomes confused in her own mind as to, okay, is she guilty for killing Warren or is she guilty for killing Tara? Does she identify with Warren? Does she hate Warren? It's all very like jumbled up and confused. And Warren becomes like the symbol for all of her of, of her own guilt, not really his guilt anymore, but all the things that she feels regretful for. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like that was a big ramble, but I kind of feel like it's a big ramble in her head. Like, you know, how to even like kind of make sense of what Warren symbolizes to her. Yeah. He, it's not just one thing. It's all of those feelings sort of mixed up together. Yeah. Well, and right. There's definitely the guilt about killing Warren, but it's also like, like there's the, there's all the stuff with what she says about, and I know we're skipping ahead to like the later stuff, but it's kind of hard to do. Yeah, that's what I kind associate of, yeah, with. I was like, well, there's kind of no way to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the, the all the stuff, all the guilt about Tara and not, and like her, her, on, on the face of it, her claim of, like, I killed Tara is obviously false, right? It was Warren. It was him mm. shooting his gun and hitting her, right? But um, one, well, I, I mean, the big part of that is not, it's not that she literally killed her. It's, it's the memory of her right. and the, you know, um, the idea that she forgot or like somehow let that memory go for a moment when she kissed Kennedy that first time. And 
so the idea of like there's guilt there from killing Warren is true, but also it's like Warren as Tara's killer. Like she's identifying mm-hmm. as that as well. And I'm sorry. And I know, I mean, like maybe I'm just sort of restating the same things that you've already said. So like, I don't know. I'm yeah. I don't like, I don't know that it's like that deep per se. Mm-hmm. Cause like, but it is definitely interesting to like see where her head's at at this point of like cuz we're not like like she does there have been episodes this season of course of like her of willow like being hesitant about the magic and stuff and we saw like when she was like doing magic and then like the first kind of came in and was like you're making me stronger and like stuff like that. And mm-hmm. like, like, so like she's doing magic, but kind of hesitant about it, but like, she's still associated with it. Like, like enough so that like Kennedy knows how important it is to her. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe like Kennedy saying like, there's the fairy tale aspect means that like Willow's not doing it like all the time or in the open or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, there's enough there that like she knows about Willow and the association with magic and stuff. And, and so it's hard to like, she's not like there is no like complete abstinence or whatever going on. And there's definitely still an association there. And I feel like, I don't know, just, just that idea of, maybe there's some guilt to that aspect of it too of like mm-hmm. that she is still doing magic and that's what led to all of these problems and her going right. dark in the first place and it was the source of her problems with tara the whole memory right. manipulation and all of that kind of stuff so like maybe there's that aspect of it as well um and that and right, so right. maybe we can get into like the wicked group thing and too because like that was where like that was her first real mm-hmm. you know beyond like floaty pencils and things like Mm -hmm. and and sort of the early like magic is just sort of like chemical formula you know science-y type stuff that Mm -hmm. that we had like in the first couple of seasons you know the wicca group is really kind of her first you know foray into like sort of quote serious magic and that's where she met tara Right, that's so, what I was just thinking, yeah. Right. Um, so there's like a full circle aspect to that of going back to the group where yeah. she and Tara met and everything. And I think um, I think you're right about the, the magic being uh, inextricable from all these feelings of guilt because that's her first reaction when she turns into Warren is to blame herself. Oh, this is a spell gone wrong. Like, obviously I did something wrong and you know, I must be feeling guilty, which of course she is, and my subconscious is, you know, making something go screwy, which it is, but not in the way that she thinks. It's not her own spell that's gone wrong. It's someone else's spell that is actually working the way it's supposed to, but it's preying on those feelings of of guilt and and those associations with Tara and Warren that it's sort of feeding on. Um, but there's this presumption from her that the shoe is always waiting to drop, you know, of like, she's using the magic cautiously and carefully because 
she knows that it's important for the group that she do that. Um, but I feel like there's just a constant sense of just, she's just waiting for everything to go completely to hell like it did the last time. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think in that way, maybe she does even blame herself for Tara's literal death in a way, like you said, because of the relationship issues they had at the time and what all was going on. Even if you actually look at it and it doesn't make sense, you know, that's survivor's guilt doesn't really work from a rational standpoint. You know, you can say, well, Warren bought the gun. He made the choice. He did the thing. But she's thinking of all the things that led up to them being in that room at that moment as that happened and where their relationship was and bringing all of those associations with it. Um, so, you know, I think there is some identification with Warren there in that way um, as like, you know, it, he's the symbol of of the killer and what, you know, Mm. what she could potentially turn into both as like a reenactor of him and also as the person who killed him um yeah which like and, and so then it, it it turns into him or her kind of becoming more and more absorbed into his personality um which yeah, I guess so, is part of the spell. I don't know that the implication is ever that it's actually Warren. Um, right. But it's so, a little hard to tell. Um, you know, I wanted to, she does start to mimic some of the phrasing and the misogyny of the personality. So there is a definite, like, I don't, I don't think it's just a function of looking like him. It seems like there is an actual change that starts to take place in her personality that becomes more like his right um. so yeah i mean it's interesting because they're they're vague enough on the specifics of the spell that you could almost like make up anything and be right partially right, right. At you least. can you can have a headcanon um, of exactly how this works yeah so uh i don't I don't think that we ever really know. I So I, here's what I think and don't think. I don't think that it's like Warren's spirit, like, or soul or whatever, like haunting Willow and like possessing her. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think that's it. Um, I could see the spell being like, well, so the so the other thing is like we learned from Amy that it's it's the subconscious choice, right, of the person who's the spell. So like Amy doesn't pick one. Like for for all we know, Amy has no idea who Warren is. Right. We could talk about that maybe even that might be a good thing to come up at the end of the season because there's some stuff in like season eight where we might want to discuss mm. about Amy and Warren and who knows what and that kind of thing. But anyway, that's like a after we're done with the series conversation. Mm -hmm. Um so we you know, at this point we have no idea if Amy even knew Warren. Um uh, you know 
she was a rat for most of the years that like she could have possibly known him and then like like he didn't go to high school with them i don't believe right like didn't he come to town after that or or maybe i don't remember exactly the details there but anyway there's no there's no connection there so like there's no idea that like amy chose warren or even knew who he was and so it is clearly willow who's making that choice now was the spell like was it specific enough to be like this spell like will turn you into someone that you think of or or is it like so open-ended that there could have been potentially lots of different things that happened that maybe aren't even related to people like maybe maybe whatever this spell is isn't like designed to like turn one person into another person and mimic their personality or whatever maybe it's just like hey this is just like a generic spell and like literally whatever the whatever punishment comes out you know it could have been like the ghostbusters thing of like we tried to clear our minds but the stay puff marshmallow man popped into my head at that moment right and that's what the spell picked like it could have been all kinds of different things so we we just don't know enough about the mechanics mm-hmm. which i think that is kind of the more interesting like like the more possibilities there are the fact that like the spell worked in such a way as to turn willow into warren and like first in looks but then like make him make her successively more act like him mm-hmm. is like very interesting from just like a like an underlying fear and mm-hmm. you know uh punishment type of type of thing that's going on there so right. i don't i don't i don't know that we get enough to like understand the actual mechanics of the spell but I do think, like, the more open the possibility is, like, then the more it's sort of, like, interesting to think about Willow mm. choosing that, um, even subconsciously, as, like, mm. you know, the way that she is punished. And it's, so the flip side of that is from Amy's perspective, then it's, you know, hey, I'm just trying to knock Willow down a peg. Yeah. You know, like, she went all evil, but, like, people forgave her and, like, you know, oh, poor sweet Willow. But, like, from Amy's perspective, it's, like, now, I mean, I think we can see that Amy's being fairly disingenuous here. Like, mm-hmm. she seems a little more, more chaotic. But I also think it's, so we talked about, like, the full, full circle of the Wicca group. I mean, this is, like, also a full circle with Amy. Because, mm-hmm. like... Remember, I we saw her in episode three of mm-hmm. season one. Mm-hmm. After you know, th- there was like the two part, you know, welcome to Hellmouth, and then that there was like a cliffhanger into the right. next episode. She's like the first and then, standalone and then, story. Yeah. yeah, she her story is the first monster of the week story, right? Where she's a victim, a, a non magical victim of a mother who's the witch, right? And so like. And that's a possession story, too. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's kind of an interesting, like, little full circle thing going on there. Um, and it's Buffy and Willow and Xander who save her mm-hmm. and and banish her mother and whatever. So, you know, definitely, definitely a, a turn in events mm-hmm. from where she started out, too. Um, 
Yeah, and left kind of open-ended in that um, Kennedy figures her out and she gives her kind of, you know, villain, this is why I did what I did kind of speech. But, like, there's no, like, real big showdown or reckoning no. for her. It just, she explains her motivation and um, and then that's it. That's the last we see. So, it, you know... Is she one of the super villains or the big bads? No, but like, she's also not her her full circle hasn't included like a reforming either. Um, she's, you know, maybe not as out of control as when we saw her like with Willow going to like crazy magic drug dens and everything, but you still get a sense of she's stuck in that world and. And maybe still kind of addicted to it and and using the powers that she has for, you know, to kind of nurse these these petty grudges that she has. Um, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, and it's kind of all about her not even so much a grudge against Willow is more about like her envy of her that like, cause Amy's done some dark things, maybe not even as dark as Willow ever got, but it's that sense of she can do this evil, the worst things and everybody who can love her and forgive her. And I think you can kind of get the, you get the, the longing for that of, wouldn't it be nice if people forgave me for the things that I've done? Um, but rather than use that as motivation to earn that forgiveness or that love, it's just making her more bitter against Willow. Um, and that's not even getting into her envy of Willow's power to begin with, which is the other part of it, of we all work hard for half as much that idea of just the amount of which kind of like shows you again it's not just that willow worked hard it's that she has some sort of talent that sets her apart from even other witches you know her and age and everything mm -hmm. um yeah yeah and you're right there isn't like a big showdown because she just kind of snaps her fingers and transports kennedy right to buffy's backyard um and that's it that's the last we see of amy <laughs> um at least in the tv show right i was um, gonna say it sounds like there's a little bit more in the comics at least yeah but, but not so, in the tv show okay so a couple things so first of all just wanted to mention so the actress i think we talked about her when we first introduced her quite a while ago, but I mean, mm -hmm. Amy's been, if not consistent, like at least a, you know, fairly frequent, repetitive, uh, recurring character, you know, throughout the seasons. And, and I could be wrong about this, but in either human or rat form, I believe appears in every season. So, like, as a recurring character, that's, like, probably more than most. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of other, like, recurring characters that we... that Maybe, aren't like, like, 
Jonathan the main might be the group. only other one who's like. Is he in season seven? Well, I guess as the first, he is right. We see. Well, uh, no, they come back from Mexico. Right. He gets right. like an episode. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And like makes, I mean, but make, but as like that kind of tertiary, not one of the regulars, but like re- recurring character, important yep. recurring character. Maybe the two of them are kind of yeah. at a level, you know? Yeah. Um, so and, anyway. and have been there from the beginning, pretty much through the end or close to the end. So. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, well, she's good. I always really enjoyed her episodes, I think. Um, sure. And obviously played a very big role in season six where, mm-hmm. you know, you know, her encouragement of Willow and magic and um, all of that. Is yeah, I mean, she does come back in Buffy season eight. We don't, I think sort of at the end of the series, we can talk about maybe how the story goes on a bit. Um, and is still going on. Actually, they're up to season eleven. Yeah. Um, in the comics, but um, we don't need to get into that. Like, for all intents and purposes, for the for the TV series, like her her role is done here. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't see her again. But um, yeah, definitely wanted to just bring up the actress. Um, again, it, we may have already talked about this, but just that she was a contender, a strong contender, apparently for Buffy, um, for playing Buffy. Um, and obviously, you know, Sarah Michelle Gellar got the, the part, but, uh, the whole character of Amy was sort of predicated on, um, Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Ann Allen being, you know, doing a good job in her audition and, and that character, which again, we was introduced in the third episode of the series, um, was, was created because of her, uh, mm-hmm. acting. So. Um, definitely, uh, definitely played a big role kind of throughout, or at least a, an important role throughout the series um, mm-hmm. in, in one form or another. So uh, not that I'm sorry to see Amy go per se, but like, I agree, like her interactions with Willow and, and her episodes were, were some of the better ones overall. Um, so. Yeah. I think of the, of those supporting players, she's, you know, I think you can kind of, I can, from my point of view anyway, I can see what they liked about her, that she's, you know, um, a pretty watchable actor. So, um, yeah. All right, Amy. Um, <laughs> and with so, that- yeah, we'll have to, we'll, out with a, out with a whimper, but like, we'll have to check in just to see kind of you know, at the end, you can give me a hint as to where they go with the character and everything. Yeah. Um, and and I don't, I mean, the actor hasn't gone on to do, to do a lot. I don't know if she's done other things besides acting and stuff. I mean, I don't imagine that her royalties from Buffy, like, give her a full life. But, you know, right, she did yeah. well enough that yeah. uh, she's probably okay. But, um, you know, she she had some more bit parts and stuff, but hasn't done a whole lot of acting mm-hmm. um even after that so uh i don't i don't know uh i don't know what she's doing at this point but um yeah just we'll we'll definitely check in at the end of the season at least on the character and talk about her a little bit with sort of the rest of 
yeah. where the story goes on from from there when mm-hmm. we get to it. All right. All right. Well, we only got through one of our storylines here, but <laughs> I don't think the others maybe need to take quite so long. Well, um, did we did did we satisfy oh. like the Kennedy stuff with like the ending? Wrapping up that story. I mean, yeah. I I I I kind of agree with you. I think it's it's fairly straightforward. Um, okay. You know, I mean, yeah. Like, so she gets. She says, "I finally, I'm starting to get the." Uh, sorry, there's somebody. They must be hanging a picture or I, something. So I I, I heard it and I wasn't yeah gonna say anything, <laughs> but I did hear Just it. Yeah. Found myself distracted. Um. Okay, so there's the ending with. It's it's just like fairy tales bringing you back to life. And, you know, they have their, you know, the kiss, which is the mirror image of the beginning, which has, you know, not only is it fairy tale, like in the happy ending, um, and also in the kind of way that, uh, you know, the, the magical kiss can be like a restorative, sure. you know, have that kind of magical ending to something. Um and it can be the thing that breaks the spell or, you know, brings somebody back to life or whatever it is. Um, but there's also that kind of fairy tale logic to it of like, for whatever reason, the the thing that triggered the whole mess is the thing that also kind of undoes it at the end. That there's mm. that, you know, that actions have larger symbolic significance than you think they might have. That ha- sure. That feels kind of you know, fairy tale-ish in a way. Um, yeah. And so it, I think that kind of works. There's a kind of, uh, more than the than the cheesy, oh, you know, fairy tale ending way, that works on multiple levels, I think. Um, so yeah, I, that feels appropriate that that would be the thing that undoes the spell. And it's really very, a sim- it's a simple solution in the end, but and yeah. And I think, so one, I like that callback to her sort of calling magic a fairy tale you know whatever whatever she's right and in a kind of pejorative way of like it's fairy tale crap like that's stuff we don't take seriously yeah right um but what i was just thinking about is that there's also there's again it goes back to sort of i think her genuineness of like like she's not it's not just like well one there's the whole she looks like warren thing so like if it was like a pure looks thing then like Mm -hmm. you know an attract like physical attraction like like we're convinced now that like it it wasn't just that like there again like it's sort of reaffirming Mm -hmm. that there's there's a willowness Mm -hmm. you know that kennedy is attracted to rather than just like the the physical attraction um and also like a beauty and the beast maybe thing going Mm -hmm. on here a little bit Mm -hmm. um but yeah i think that that there's also sort of like that that willingness to like maybe when you you know you're in a relationship or you know beginning a relationship with someone and you you don't really understand certain parts of who they are, but like being willing to like explore that and say, you know what? I don't fully get this, but I'll, 
support you and like be with you and like try to understand where you're coming from that mm-hmm. that I feel like there's there is going on here so well uh, and to the honesty a willingness to change your mind and so she yeah, can say in yes. the beginning oh that's fairy tale crap in the end the fairy tale crap is the thing that saves the day it's like her realization of oh, there's a logic to the spell of how this works, that I've figured it out. And now not only is it not crap, but it's important into like figuring out how to bring Willow back. Yeah. Um, and, but, and, and she's big enough to recognize that and embrace it and isn't too proud to kind of say like, oh, like the stuff that I dismissed early on mm-hmm. is actually very important. Um, um, and then there's also the flipping of who's taking care of who when they're sick, right? Like, right. I mean, the begin. I mean, now Kennedy wasn't actually sick, but Willow was like making her tea and like right, right. kind of looking after her. And now it's you know it's flipped. It's right. I'll make you Kennedy tea, right. is is taking her and right. And then the the reference to the tea and all of that. Mm-hmm. So okay, all right. Well, sorry, just wanted to close that out. I know yes. we went over. No, um, I I kind of you know skimmed over that so yeah that was good to get to go over um i don't i hope and don't think we need to spend as much time with the rest but we will see how this goes so (laughs) buffy and spike um i mean it is kind of just a continuation of uh, this ongoing saga of the chip and what's going on um yeah it, it, it i don't think we've anybody has speculated i can't remember if we did or not that maybe it's not so much that the first has control over the chip and more so that the chip is just malfunctioning on its own and that it's actually just like really convenient timing that like the first happened to take possession of him when his chip started to kind of break down um mm-hmm. Which kind of seems like that's the answer from the initiative. That's, you know, what we learn in the end is that it's just, it's just old and needs some repairs. And after a while, like any machine, it starts to break. Um, Yeah, and it's clearly like top secret experimental technology that like is a prototype, you know, like it's not like. Yeah. You, you know, and they even sort of allude to that. Like, what, you're going to look online for, like, what exactly? Like, what? Do right. you, how do you even describe what's what this thing is? Um, right, like Google vampire chip or something like that. Right. You, yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think, I think we can dismiss the idea that the first caused the chip to malfunction because I think, I think the chip falls clearly under like mechanical mm-hmm. things that require like corporeal existence yeah, right. to manipulate. Um, now, like with some, cause like him, con- the, the first controlling spike was more of like a psychological thing, right? Like it's like the whistling or singing, like the song that his mother used to sing to him and that kind of thing. Like mm-hmm. it's not, it's not quite the, 
it's not there there's no like physical manipulation now all right so you could get into things like well how does the first talk because how can it make sound waves and that kind of thing but like yeah that's no fun maybe that's like you know okay well it's talking but it's really projecting its thoughts in your head and it just right. seems like it sounds like the person it's talking has or something like stupid like that but anyway you can get around those sorts of explanations but i think when it comes to actual chip malfunctioning i think i think the fact that that's like the initiative comes in and confirms that the chip is malfunctioning and it's like that's a physical thing that happens and so it we have no evidence that the first can do any kind of physical manipulation of that sort mm -hmm. of thing so that would be my argument for why i think we can dismiss the idea that the first like cause the chip to malfunction. Yeah. Um, but yeah. it did seem to be able to, through some sort of psychological method, get Spike to ignore the chip. Mm -hmm. On it, you know, like this is like a. I recently rewatched Breaking Bad, right? Like, there's the the episode where like he fakes having like a fugue state. Mm -hmm. to like explain where he's been and why you know he's missing for like a while um like with spike like I, it almost is like that sort of thing where it is a fugue state and it's like maybe like by triggering that like like maybe there is a a physical change in his brain where like things get rerouted like around the chip somehow and like the first is able to like manipulate him psychologically into doing that. But like, it's not like the first actively like being in there messing with the chip itself. It's like all psychology. And so, you know, the first just like maybe knows how to. Right. Like, I feel like you can come up with some sort of like psychological explanation into like how memory and brain function works that like theoretically you could like, work around the chip you know in a certain state of mind but while still like not having the first being physically involved with the manipulation going on there <laughs> right and at the very least it could be the first just taking advantage of the situation and you know and and the fact that it is malfunctioning yeah. already um Sure. Well, this is perfect timing then, because he's even more useful of a tool than he might have been and, on anyway. And that goes back to, because one of the things with Buffy, right, was like that that spike could hurt her, mm -hmm. even though like the chip still seems to be working, you know, uh, on other people. Like maybe that's like the first sort of like. Like, Buffy thinks that's, like, did she come back wrong and that right. kind of thing? Right, maybe that's the first sign but, that it's... But maybe it's yeah. not, maybe that, or maybe it's not her so much as, like, what Spike thinks about her. Hmm. And so there's, again, there's, like, a psychological component to, like, the chip, how the chip works being, like, Spike's attitude or thoughts or emotions about Buffy mm -hmm. being able to some way, like, subvert or like go around the chip in a some way that because it's already malfunctioning it's not working properly. i you know i don't know just like 
like I again like I feel like there are ways that you can then come up with sort of explanations for that um sort of thing happening without it ever being like blaming Buffy for like how she came back which wasn't her fault at all anyway right right <laughs> um anyway yeah yeah so it it leaves Buffy with the choice of which she's going to do repair the chip or remove it as the initiative guy kind of mm-hmm. dramatically mm-hmm. states it um and yeah so you know the answer to this um mm. I don't yet mm. um and it'll be a couple weeks before you do <sighs> Damn it. <laughs> um, that's, that's true. Um, well, I know you're going to ask, so if I was a betting person. <laughs> um, yeah, what do you think? That chip's coming out. It's getting removed. She's She's gone soft. Spike's got his soul. So, he's, which goes, goes he's, back He's to... one of them now, and he has his self-control and his free will back, and I think that chip's done. Is, is, uh, so is it, this is a callback, right, to Don saying, like, soul chip, what's the difference, mm. right? Like, right. if, if like, If he Buffy, has a soul, why does he need the chip? Does Buffy, like, agree with that now? Whereas she wasn't really agreeing with it before so i think she does i like i think the free will to make choices but have self-control seems to be the big difference and i think you know i think maybe that she's changed her position on that but i think that she's gonna put her faith in spike's in, in his soul and in his free will and, and that he, you know, is on their side now and has now the ability to actually follow through on that. Um, so that's where, that's where I'm putting my money. So we'll see. We shall see. I feel right. like he's not going to be happy no matter what. I feel like if she takes it out, he's going to rail against her naive innocence of like, oh, don't you know who I am and what I can do? And if she keeps it in, he's going to feel like betrayed. You know, like I feel like there's no decision that is like because of the risk involved. There's probably no correct. There's no right decision. So. I could see it being a point of contention no matter what she chooses. Um, but we'll see about that. Sure. All right. So finally, we should talk about Giles and the Potentials, our, our newest band name. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he takes them on their camping trip, and then... Um, yeah, we get a call uh, from Robson, who brings up a possibility that literally had not occurred to me, that maybe Giles got his head split so, into by the axe. And how, it's so how, it's so stupid, because you're being presented with this character, the first, who can become all these dead people, 
And then, like, it doesn't even occur to me once that, like, maybe Giles died in that living room and this has just been the first masquerading the whole time. How badly did you want to go back and rewatch those episodes with Giles to see if he touched anything? That did occur to me on, like, I, I, I don't think I have time for that, but, like, definitely, like, on the second watch through when they were trying to figure out, like, did you hug him? Do you like it? It definitely made me think. Wait a minute. Have and you have? Does he hug anybody? I. So here's the thing. You always I've forget. I've still never done attention. that because I'm never thinking about that yeah. when yeah. when this. And then I always get to this episode and I'm like, oh, oh I should it. go back I and look, and then to, I never do. I've literally. Attention. Like I've probably rewatched the series ten times now. Oh, somebody's never, somebody's done this. I've, somebody's done it. This I'm is sure. a this is a quick Tumblr search, you know. Um, yeah. Um, anyway, it is pretty funny because it's like it's so obvious when you think about it. Like I should have been worried about this the whole time, but I wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And but it's it's totally that like. Like, cause I, I, I mean, obviously not literal conversations about whether someone has touched things, but like, like I've had those conversations of like, like there's gotta be something, you know, you're talking to like your friends and like, wait, no, did this happen? Did this really happen? I don't know. Like, could this have happened? I, is this like, you know, and then like something later will be like, well, of course, obviously, duh, if we had just thought of this one thing, like it wouldn't have even been a debate, but like there's like some obvious thing that you're missing or forgetting or whatever. And it's like, you know, I don't know. Like, yeah. but even like in this episode, does he touch anything? Like, I don't know. Like before they go like and tackle him. And see, I didn't even think to on the second watch pay attention. Yeah. So that's how much you just don't even think about it. Right. Um, right. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's it's funny, but but it is him, and they all tackle him and are very relieved to find that it's him. Um. So yeah, and and we were joking darkly about you know the 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 sadly topical nature of the jokes about what you think if I bring a group of girls on a camping trip and don't touch them that I'm evil. Um, sure. Thankfully, uh, Giles doesn't seem to be doing that. No. So that's a good thing. Um, And we have confirmed that it is him. So he just hasn't talked about narrowly escaping death for some reason. Um, And we still don't really know how he got out of that predicament, but I guess somehow he did. And The other question is like, Wait, last time we saw Robson, he was, like, bleeding to death. Like, who, right. Like, does he just not remember that, like, Giles must have patched him up and, like, brought him back to health or something? Right, and, like, why was Giles just, like, gone when he did wake up? Like, yeah. there's still well, some like, unanswered, like, questions I there, could, but... I could see that, because, like, Giles would then, like, rush off to, like, help other potentials, maybe. But, like, we don't actually see what happens. Yeah. But, like, like Giles must have, like, made sure Robson was at least okay and alive before, like, leaving. And, you know, maybe, like, put a bandage on him or something. Like, <laughs> and, and, like, fair enough if, like, Robson was, 
knocked out or not remembering things and only sort of vaguely remembers Giles being there and doesn't remember if it was actually him or the first or what. Like, like mm-hmm. I can, I can guess I can understand Robson's sort of like questions there, but also like, but then who would have like patched him up and like, mm-hmm. whatever, like, I don't know. It just, there seems like a little bit too, well, contrived. Use a word I hate, but can sure. never seem to think of a better word to use instead of it. Yeah. Um. So, and anyway, just it's fine though. Like, it is. It does make for some fun humor, especially among the four. Like, I love when they're you've got Anya, Xander, Don, and Andrew in the car. And they're, like, talking about how inadequate they all are. Like, none of them have special powers. But, like, they're going to, like, face the first and potentially, like, bring... Like, if if Giles really is, like, the first, of course there's going to be, like, all these bringers and, like, evil things out in the mm-hmm. middle of the desert. Assuming that's even where they went. Like, you, that may not even be a right assumption. Right. Um. So just kind of funny how, like, inadequate they all are <laughs> at like yeah and ill-prepared at actually facing this uh you know potential threat yeah yeah yep but luckily they don't have to face the real threat um right. so all they do is sort of tackle him and that's sort of the end of it um so yeah well we've we've gone over anything else that we did not cover for this episode i mean just you know a reminder of we've got a bit of a cliffhanger so we'll uh we'll see how that turns out but uh not 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 until after uh angel which the next episode is titled soulless right so we'll uh you know, we're talking about Spike having a soul and potentially not a chip. Um, now we've got Angel, or or rather Angelus, with no soul mm-hmm. uh, in in that other show. Um, so that's what's up next. Mm. But, yeah. Reversal so, of fortune. So we need to talk about ESG, though. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we can be a little more measured and yes even-handed between the three parts of that that we're going to talk about uh but first you had a quick production note i think only to say that this is uh jane espenson's uh last episode of this of the main series i mean uh she writes for the spinoff and um and she will write the plan which i think we are planning to talk about Yes. Um and and <laughs> that's obvi- the plan. And the the plan is talking about the plan. And obviously she did work on the webisodes, which I think were kind of done after this. So this wasn't exactly the end of her involvement in BSG, but from the uh full episode point of view, this is her, you know, mm. everybody is you know, they split up the second half of season four between all the, the regulars, so everybody's mm. getting their little swan song in here. So uh, this is her last one. Yeah. All right. Well, it's a bummer, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll move on, I guess. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I wanted kind of similar to like 
how we did with the Buffy episode here, um, just kind of there's like three like main plots um, that I kind of split up amongst the sort of main characters that they follow. Um, and we'll probably talk the most about Ellen mm-hmm. and her interactions with Saul and Caprica Six and the sort of Final Five stuff in general. Um, but then also, like, we definitely need to talk about Baltar and his uh, group and and a little bit with Adama, um, you know, kind of interspersed there. So, um, and, and Adama kind of on his own. Uh, obviously, he has interactions with, like, the Cylons and Baltar and stuff. But, yeah. Um, just kind of like him and him and his the love of his life, which of course is the Galactica. Right. Um, so to start off, let, so we, so Ellen, right? So um, I mean, the big thing here is that you know previously we saw her escaping with Boomer, and now we have her like actually arriving at the Galactica. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing. <laughs> How how do they know where the Galactica is? Like, mm. Cavill's looking for the Galactica and for the other Cylons. Mm-hmm. How does, like, Ellen and Boomer find them? Honestly, never even occurred to me to ask that question. I, I just, like, seems very easy. And it can't just be, well, they're in a raptor, so, like, they found them. Because, like, don't you think that like Cavill would have right. thought, Cavill like, would "Hey, let's check that, the yeah. Raptors' memory banks." Like, right, right, and and it like, and we learn that it's a Raptor that had been you know taken a while back, which that's fine, and um, all of that. But like, I just don't like that. That's very like Deus Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I I don't I don't I like. I feel like a lot of times for that kind of thing, you say, well, maybe there was this and this and this. And even it can get a little stretchy, you know, but like you can at least come up with like a, a potential, mm-hmm. you know, solution for how. And I just I racked my brain and cannot figure out how they possibly could have tracked down the Galactica in a way that Cavill also should mm-hmm. couldn't have done. Right. Already. Done himself. Right. Right. Um, so I, I don't know. I just, I don't know. Uh, I know that we're supposed to just sort of accept that on faith. Mm-hmm. Um, that Ellen can, maybe Ellen has like a GPS tracker on Ty or something. <laughs> Unsolved. And, she can sense him. Um, right, I mean, kn- the only thing I can think is that, yeah, Cavill and the Silence are looking for the humans and occasionally they find them. I mean, we've seen this throughout like the show like occasionally the Cylons do find them and then depending on the situation they either run you know jump out of there to somewhere else or they fight or whatever so you know it's this ongoing game of cat and mouse and so my only guess would be that Boomer and Ellen do whatever the Cylons do of make educated guesses as to where they are until they happen to locate them um so that's you know that's the the best that i would be able to come up with um but if you do that then i think you have to assume that maybe it took them a while that like it's not like they went straight there on their first jump that there must have been a period of time where they were 
searching and have there would have to be some indication as to where to look though because i think randomly searching the the universe is a bit but like i think if you question that then maybe you have to question the whole premise of the show because that's been the whole story has been like the Cylons are pursuing us and sometimes we they have reason to know where they are like they snuck a tracker on them or something but sometimes it seems like they just find them um but except that like I don't know. I feel like there's always because like there's always a trajectory, right? It's always like we're looking. Well, and for that's Earth, true. Like, and we're looking and for the same thing, and we're following the same. Right. Yeah. Markers and now that's not the case. Now I guess you could like maybe you could say like okay, well we we now that they've found Earth and found its destruction. Do they even know that? Do the does the Cavill team know that at this point? That is a good question that I don't have the <laughs> has, answer to. Has Giles touched anything yet? <laughs> like this is the same type of question I right. feel like. Because right. like Cavill because like the, la- about the last episode was like, oh, like took a span of like all the time from New Caprica on, right? Mm-hmm. So like there was like more than a year or whatever like mm-hmm. that covered there. But Cavill and team never goes to Earth. Right. That we've seen. Yeah. So, like, they don't even know that they found Earth. So, like, so my thing was, like, maybe they know that, like, the Galactica and fleet are looking for, like, planets of a certain description, you know, or or systems with, you know, because, like, like, when... Adama finally pulls it together. He's like, okay, you know, find me all of the systems that are of these particular classes. And, you know, presumably they might have planets where we could live. Right. 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 Um, but Cavill wouldn't even like think that far ahead because they would think that they're still looking for earth mm-hmm. at this point. I would think. Right. I mean, unless they were on their trail and got there afterwards and, but that's an assumption. We don't know that that's true, that he's yeah. been there and they've come and gone and, you know. So like, so like even like before there's things like, Oh, they're looking for the dog head nebula or the, you know, supernova or, you know, earth and, Cobalt and whatever, whatever else that they're like, like, so there's always like destinations where it's like, okay, if we look for the same thing that we know that the fleet is looking for, then like, we're probably going to like run into them mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah. But, no, that's but true. like at this point, I don't even think they know that much. So yeah. I don't know. No, it's true. Um, anyway. 10 minutes on that. Um, but yeah, so Ellen returns. Boomer flies her back. Um, I love that, like, Tyrol rats Boomer out. I know. Um, and, uh, I mean, so yeah, like, there's the whole, like, Ellen and Saul start going at it, like, pretty much right away. Um, mm-hmm. Which, of course, um, but also totally feel, uh, is it, who is it that says like they they're it's like watching your parents make out? Oh, Starbuck. <laughs> so, yeah. Is it Starbuck? Yeah. yeah. Um, I couldn't remember. Uh, but yeah, like okay. 
Um, right. Well, and and Adama's reaction is that kind of like, oh God, here we go. You know, like he immediately yeah. looks like annoyed and you know, sure. uh, frustrated by by Ellen, but also by the way Ty acts around Ellen. You know, right. like it's the two of them bring out these, you know, for um, as passionate as they are, they bring out the worst in each other. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. So, and and you even get the her shot of when the raptor doors open and it's just like her legs. It's right. the it's the repeat of her first episode when she came back from the dead the first time when they thought she was dead and and she was right. you know on a a random ship the whole time um so you get like a reenactment of that of her kind of seductive legs being the first thing that you see yeah um so right so there's there's that aspect of it and like you know she learns little things of like okay like Ty admits to like sleeping with Caprica 6 which she like is like we made Caprica 6 but it's also like you were literally like screwing Cavill before and like you know stuff on new Caprica and then like yeah but she didn't know he was you know but but then yes. she wakes up and does know and there's like the whole daddy issues and like, hey, I'm sitting here naked, like in front of you and stuff. So like, it's not even like, like, come on. Uh, anyway. And like. In well, Ty's, it's more in front of the centurion, Ty's, isn't it? That she's like, you know, like it's not so much with Cavill, I think, that she's. No, because he's like, it's nothing I haven't seen before. She's naked when Cavill's in there. Right, but it's but it's him saying it's nothing ever. She's not like I don't get the impression that she's trying to flaunt anything. Um All right. I mean level like we can disagree on the level to which there's sexualization there and stuff, but there's mm -hmm. like it's not like that's fine. Whatever. She's clearly someone who has gone out even before and been very frisky and promiscuous <laughs> with sure. other men regardless of whatever like yeah like it just seems sure. like um and, and so but the other thing i was going to say is that there's like ty didn't know necessarily when he started having sex with caprica six that like he was their maker he just thought he's right. like one of the final five cylons he's a cylon and mm -hmm. i mean Technically, if they're Cylons, right, at this point, like, they're not the humans that actually made the Cylons. They're human consciousness in a Cylon body, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's, which is a different thing, I think, even though, like, we're sort of prompted to believe that they're, like, the same personalities or whatever. Like, that mm -hmm. gets into the whole, like, are Cylons people or machines or, like, is is there a difference between saw the Cylon and saw the human who helped make the Cylon. It's like, mm -hmm. maybe, maybe not. Like if personality and soul is like your memory and stuff, well, we've had lots of like shifts in memory and 
awareness of who you are and what you are like mm-hmm. throughout this episode not just with Cylons but with others too like thinking of Starbuck and whatever mm-hmm. um so so there's all of that question too of like well you know okay yes maybe they maybe they made the Cylons but did Kai know that when he started sleeping with Caprica 6 and does that matter at this point if he is right. also a Cylon now and not a human who made a Cylon um well, so, but hold on. I want to clarify something, though, because even when they made the Cylons, they were Cylon themselves, right? Like, isn't that what they find out when they test the bones in Earth? Is that the 13th tribe were a tribe of Cylons? Yeah, well, okay. And so maybe I'm misunderstanding, but I thought at least I thought at some point going back. So, like, right. The big technological breakthrough was the recovery of. Um, the ability to resurrect, right? Like that, like, so yes, they were Cylons at that point, but like, I guess I misunderstood. I thought like the whole idea was that like they, they made the seven models. So is that, is that what you're saying? Is like the, like it was those Cylons who also, who then made the seven models of Cylon as well and not actual humans right no they are right they are the final five makes make the seven the other seven models that's correct but they were also cylons themselves they were cylons when they and and always were is my interpretation is that like even when they were living on earth because well, I no, think it's, so, it's, but it's Baltar whole... who they test the bones and he says, like, they're all Cylon. So the, the tribe consisted of, they, that's why they left the other 12 tribes. So maybe they went I'm... off to start their own civilization. Um, so maybe I'm confused because then what's the whole conversation about Ty having been born? He was born, like, the, so Cylons were making babies? Is that what that is? I don't know. I guess. Like... I I took that to mean that he was at one point human. I never really but, took it that way, but but maybe I'm I don't wrong. Maybe. And I didn't write down that those words, so I can't pull them up to to remember exactly what he says. But um, it's when I, they're drink. It's when they're drinking. Yeah, right? and and yes. Adam is like, well, they're both like crap faced drunk and um, well, and i and i thought, kind of thought the 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 part of that that i that i remember most is him saying like well like were you born well i can't remember it but nobody can so again like how does that like if you were born or made you don't remember that sure. process you don't Na- remember the origin of, the of that um but, but and yeah, I don't know. I and don't know. and the, the point the 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 point that I remember just being in the when they're like investigating Earth, being the the idea that all of the remains of the people are Cylon, that they're not that there were no human, there were no pure humans on Earth. And that was the idea of the 13th tribe was that they were they consisted of the Cylons who left Cobol and went off on their own to not be with the with the humans. Um But I mean, so anyway, 
that that's like then so like is that that's even less of a if, if we're looking like so ultimately going back to ellen's comment about well we made them like yeah but so what like if we're cylons and they're cylons and like why is sleeping with one especially after like comments of like believe me we've tried to do the procreation thing right, right. like the, the implication that like base ships at one point were just like orgy ships and like right all the attempts at procreation that they had why does it matter that they made the cylons nest or that they made other models of cylons mm -hmm. kind of in their image or whatever um yeah and i guess it gets this idea of the of the incestuous nature of it which is i think the like even if it's metaphorical that's that's the implied taboo that's being broken of like there are like so there are children how could you you know like that idea but like you know but it's also ellen being extremely manipulative about everything she does and says sure yes which she admits at the end that like oh, I don't even disagree with you on these things. I just was trying to manipulate you to hurt you. Because she agrees the other part of the incestuous part of it is that a pure Cylon, anything doesn't work. If that's a physical relationship to bear children or if it's to have a a society or a civilization, you know, it's they there needs to be genetic diversity that a purity of the culture isn't doesn't ever result in good things and that she agrees with that but she pretends not to for her own uh satisfaction of you know making ty and caprica feel guilty um sure well so let's talk about her stuff with caprica because like so obviously, so like she finds out first that Ty is sleeping with her, and then there's like, in in the sort of conversation with the other members of the final five, it comes out that Caprica Six is pregnant, and so then it becomes Ellen, you know, going to talk with Caprica Six, and you know, kind like manipulating her but also like suggest like manipulating her through truth right like mm -hmm. of like you have the proof right there that he loves you but you know there's little there's little else that he loves you know more than you is kind of how she puts it first and then like later when there's like she calls other in it's like you know ty is fighting hard to like keep keep them all there and not leave mm -hmm. and ellen's like see he loves bill odama more than he loves you and like like so all these things that are like intended to cast doubt you know as to how much ty loves caprica six which which is the at least in her mind and we talked a little bit about whether like is love the like missing ingredient for making a baby well in humans it's not clearly because like many babies are made without necessarily there being a loving relationship there but like apparently there's something 
in the way that Cylons are made. And, and this seems to be true also with the final five, not just like the new, the, you know, the new class of Cylons, mm -hmm. which are old at this point, but you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, that there's a love component to the baby. And it's, it's interesting that like, this means that literally no Cylon babies have ever been born. Mm. <laughs> like since since Earth was, you know, destroyed or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so that brings the question of like, so do, do Saul and Ellen love each other? Like, mm. or not? Like, because I think the knee-jerk reaction is, well, yes, of course. Like, look at all they've gone through and they're passionate and whatever, but like, if if that's the missing component for a child and they've never been able to have a child together after apparently trying quite a bit, like what then is the nature of their actual relationship? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I, and I don't know that I have a good answer to that, um, but it does bring up right. that question. Yeah. Well, and I know that I've, I've, uh, I'm aware that that element of it bothers some people for that reason of what kind of message does it send about how babies are made and what like you know what it means if you result in like a, a, a successful pregnancy um you know the idea that if you try to conceive and can't that that some failure of your own um which I think most people would agree is not true and yet I think still persists as like a just a right. stigma, a thing that people can't help but feel that if they if they can't get pregnant that they've failed. Um and then like yeah, like in terms of you know situations of you know whether it's unhappy relationships or or rape or whatever that still you know that that end up getting somebody pregnant that there must have been some you know, purpose behind it that like, well, like the, the baby is a sign of something. Um, and I think the, the uncomfortable implications of those ideas, I think are what I've seen people object to with this, which like, I think, I think you can take it two ways. One, you can just conclude, well, silent are different from humans and maybe their biology is different. And maybe there is an element of of something that's required that, you know, isn't with human uh, biology. But also I think you could just take it as this is what they believe. Is it necessarily true? Um, like, I don't know. The fact sure. that like, I think you could come up with other reasons why Caprica loses the baby other than Ty's failure to love, you know, it like, she gets into a fight in this episode and some like dudes attack her. So I think you could say like, well, they're, you know, or, or there's been, you know, you could come up with all sorts of scenarios of people sabotaging her or just the stress of the situation or just the fact that maybe just a pure Cylon union just doesn't work physically like that maybe they've never got pregnant because they cannot carry to term and it's only if with a human partner that they can 
birth a, a healthy baby. Um, so I think you can kind of, if, it, if, if it's troublesome to kind of think that love is the missing ingredient, there are those, those other like escape hatches that you can bring in and say, well, there's other ways in which this could make sense from a more biological point of view. Sure. Yeah. No. And I mean, it, right. It is Cylon biology. And like, they also have like different beliefs than like the humans in the show about like religion and other things, right? Like all this stuff about the one true God versus like the pantheon and like that kind of stuff. Like, which is correct are either correct like what else is going on with all that stuff like i feel like it's along the same lines there like mm -hmm. cylon biology is definitely not the same as human biology obviously but like does anyone even really understand it like do, does even like the cylon mm -hmm. understand it even even the Cylons who like supposedly made the other Cylons, do they fully understand it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you'd like to think so, but you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, right. At, right. At my day job, we talk about this with like the Google alg algorithm, right? Because it's like, there's so many people who work on that thing and like different aspects of it that, like, does any one person actually understand, like, even even someone at Google who, like, theoretically has access to all the code that runs, like, the Google search engine, do they actually even understand how it fully works? Because mm -hmm. it's just so complex, and there's so many pages on the web, and, you know, so many things going on. So, it's, like, yeah. a constant conversation that we have, and it's, like, I, I suspect probably not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, and that's true of, like, any you know, perhaps of any major piece of software. Like, you can understand, like, various parts of it, perhaps, but maybe, like, all the potential ways of interactions and stuff. Like, like there seems to be a point where it just grows beyond that ability to understand it. And so, you know, something right. like artificial life, or or is it artificial at this point? Who knows? Like, you know, at what point does it stop being artificial? Um, those are all sort of questions of like the Cylons that mm -hmm. uh, I think get wrapped up here. Yeah. Um, okay. I don't want to have this be a three hour episode. So, okay. so like we yeah. should probably move on. Okay. Um, so yeah. So you, so you brought up like um, her losing the baby and yeah, I think the implication of course is that she at least believes that the, lack of love is mm -hmm. part of the possibility and even like i mean i i think generally like ellen is petty and manipulative like in the first half but i do think we're sort of led to believe that she's being genuine in the last bit where she's like saying like he loves you more than he ever loved me you're the mother of his son blah 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 but like none of that seems to work like if that's if if the if the problem is that caprica six believes at least that like ty doesn't love her mm -hmm. like he used to ellen's words and ty's sort of 
saying, but you know, expressing his refusal to express himself, <laughs> um, which is kind of that's the weirdest part of this episode mm -hmm. um, to me. Like the whole like I shouldn't have to say it speech. right, but like he's there and he's saying it right like, by not by like saying I'm not going to say it. He's saying it right, and so like. That to me is kind of like, I can understand why that's hard to like portray without using words. Uh -huh. Probably impossible. Yeah. But like someone who actually feels that way wouldn't say those things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It just seems that part of it seems weird. But all right. Stepping back though. Like if that's. If none of that convinces, like, Capricorn 6 that, like, Ty actually loves her, mm -hmm. then, like, maybe that translates to a physiological thing. And, like, you were saying, like, maybe there are other explanations or whatever. But, like, I do at least feel in those moments that, like, Ellen is kind of, like, pulled away from, like, the capriciousness and, you know, meanness mm -hmm. that she's portraying earlier in the episode and like at least seems to be genuine there mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. but it doesn't work and right the kid dies so at least that's the implication i guess we don't get the actual statement of that do we uh i don't actually i mean he I says like so, we have really. work to do here but like right i mean I, that's yeah that's that's the clear sort of result of all of this, right? Right, and, and the guess, like flatlining of the monitor and everything. Right, right, right. Guess, okay, yeah, of, yeah. It does, it does flatline. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I mean that's sad, and then yeah, and uh, and, and then you get Trisha so, Helfer is really good in that, you know, in that. Like again, I have, I don't. I have trouble with Ty and Caprica as a couple, <laughs> but sure. But as people who express love for a unborn child, it, it works a lot better for me. Like they, I, I feel more their love for the baby than I do for each other as characters or as actors being able to perform that, um, which could be part of it too. You know, like maybe there wasn't, you know ever really sorry my radiator's clanking now um maybe there ever wasn't really potential for them as a couple so much as it was the the longing for a baby and like wouldn't be the first couple in history to ever use a baby as a thing to keep them together you know like to to use the baby as motivation and the symbol of Sure. why we should be together and keep going and stay a family and all those sorts of things. Like the baby becomes more than just that. It's a symbol of all of those things. Yeah. And then, I mean, and then, well, of course, who does Ty love most in the world? Adama. So that's who he goes yeah, to. Clearly. Uh, Which I think we can all agree on. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't think. Don't well, and that's why that, I said really. <laughs> like Ellen manipulates through the truth. I don't think right. she's lying. Yeah. 
when she says that. Yeah. Um, certainly, I don't think she believes she's lying. And, like, I think we could probably all agree with her that she isn't lying. Right. And, um, uh, and, and the name of Liam is a little testament to that, you know. Um, right. Short for William. Right. Right. Um, right. We're, like, explicitly, we get that. Because, like... Yeah. Liam doesn't necessarily have to be short. Like, it, like I know kids who are... Right, just I, I have Liam. a friend who named their child Liam, and it's not William. It's right, but, but he specifically... Right. Like, yes, we got it, Ty. Thank you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah, Ty with a little, like, maybe a little over uh, uh, explanation in some of his lines here. But, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, so of course he goes to Adama to cry it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, I mean, and it is sad. I mean, obviously, because like... Yeah. But this, so then this goes back to the conversation with the, final, uh, with the final five of like, you know, Hera is kind of, you know, the promise of like the next generation. And they're like, well, no, now we have this like pure Cylon baby. And like, well, now no, we don't. So like, does right. that change the voting? Hmm. Like, like if they can't actually, and I mean, there's also like the logic of like one baby after thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Hey, yay, we can sustain life on our own. Like, right. that's that doesn't seem sustainable to me. Right. Um. So maybe you just would want to have like a plan B. Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. But like now it's like, does that does that change things? Like if they can't actually reproduce on their own still. Right. Um, right. Is that going to. And. The conversation. So we didn't bring up the conversation between Caprica 6 and Roslyn because mm. that takes on a little more ominous tone when they're remembering like. The shared dreams in the opera house thing mm-hmm. where it seems like Caprica six is stealing Hera, kidnapping Hera. Mm-hmm. Like, does that become more of a threat now R- rather than like, Oh, remember when we had those crazy shared dreams together? Like now it's like with Caprica six losing her own child, mm-hmm. that takes on a little more ominous tone and like, Hey, Let's just throw this out there so that everybody in the audience remembers that this happened at one point. Yes, <laughs> like, right. It's yeah. very, it's very much. Uh, hey, we're going to bring up this thing we haven't brought up in a while. Uh, attitude or tone to it, right? Um, and like Rosalind's awkward attempt at like small talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. <They're, laughs> right. Hey, Caprica. Oh, I never called you that before. Ha ha ha. I'm so silly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Remember when you nuked our planet and like yeah that. especially 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 given Rosalind's like sort of monasterial attitude as of late yeah like just not wanting to go out and talk to pretty much anybody right right Mm -hmm. anyway I you know that's fine um it yeah that does seem a little forced uh a little awkward um but it and it and it totally just seems to be like hey i i forgot to congratulate you on your baby when have you ever wanted to congratulate any cylon on anything right like, yeah like i feel like even 
even Cylons that have been like a part of the fleet for a while now, like Athena and stuff, like Roslyn is still pretty skeptical, like mm-hmm. probably the most skeptical mm-hmm. of like her and Adama and even like Ty and stuff. Like mm-hmm. she's like to suddenly be like sort of buddy buddy friendly with Caprica is a little odd for her. Right. And I mean, the only thing that kind of justifies it is like you get this idea that he's she's trying to get information from her that it is like forced and in, in that it's like oh have you heard like you know what's going on with the opera house and what's going on with your baby is this baby special like are there going to be visions about this baby and Caprick is like well of course he's special he's my baby like all babies right. are, and Rosalind's like oh right. yeah all babies are special but like that's not really what she's asking. What she's asking is, is there messianic significance to this baby? So you, she's kind of on an info, on a mission to get info, which sure. I guess you could kind of see it as a little disingenuous in that way. Um, like she's not really interested in being friends necessarily, but it is like very... Normally, Rosalind, I don't think, is that... Um, She's usually more direct, like when she's trying to get information from like someone she doesn't like, you know, which like given all of the ire she's pointed at Baltar for his part in the in the nuking of the planets, it yeah. might not be inappropriate to direct a little bit of that towards Caprica Six, you know, like, sure, like she was at least as responsible and more so than Baltar like this is the person and I like Caprica 6 but like I would expect Rosalind to be more wary of her but um Mm. but yeah yeah all right um so any other thoughts about Ellen or Saul or Caprica Six or like the Final Five stuff in general? Um, I, I do. I, I do still think like we have, like maybe we there's going to be a revote at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I sure. honestly don't remember if there is or not, but like it feels like that there should be now that like if one of the premises was like we had this pure Cylon baby right. that now is no longer an option, right? Like, Right. There's got that's got to change the matter. And I that's why I think of all the options I lean towards. Um, the reason that they don't have babies is less about like missing love as it is about just the a, a pure Cylon baby just being a genetic impossibility or something because that's the implication of Ty's thing of like pure Cylon doesn't work, pure human doesn't work, that that the ideal is a blending of the two. And that's like really the end game of the story is the successful union of the two people. So I kind of take the fact that Caprica loses it and more of that it's just, you know, it was never going to carry to term in the first place. Um, So I think that's kind of, yeah, in terms of the revote, you're right. Like their premise has been debunked, and so they have to sort of reevaluate based on that. Um, 
But we know now which way Ellen would honestly vote. So even if there was a vote, she was kind of pretending to be on the side of leaving when she really, she wanted to stay. She was just kind of, you know, trying right. to be she was spiteful. She was angry. Right. So we, I think we know which way the vote would go, but maybe it, it deserves a recount. Yeah. Um, well, and I, so I, it, it surprises me how quickly Tyrrell is ready to leave. Right. Especially I because feel, he's like working on saving the ship right, and everything. Yeah. Right. And I, I feel like after Adama, from like a, a mechanical ship perspective, like, the Galactica is as much like Tyrrell's ship almost as it is Adama's mm -hmm. in some ways. Like he's the one who knows all the secret passages and who fixes things up like without telling people and like, right. you know, just has all of the knowledge about like the inner workings and knows exactly what part to pull to stop the FTL from doing like all of the things that we've seen with him and like his relationship to this ship suggests to me that like, especially now if there's, if it's going to be like part, like, like just to see if it works, like, just mm -hmm. like, I want to stick around, see if this, this works. Mm -hmm. yeah, why not? Yeah. Like that to me is a little surprising. And like, I get like, they want to make it like, so that Ellen is the, the swing vote swing yeah. vote. And so, right. Obviously, we know Sam is going to stay, mm -hmm. and you know, and Ty is going to stay. Yeah. stay. So it kind of then by default becomes like right. Tyrrell has to vote to right because you know right, and and Tori's an obvious right lever right. She's already yeah. defected to yeah. this, well not defected but like right. whatever you know is already joined at the hip with the other side. So right, right. Um, I I do feel like it's it's a little odd to have him voting the way he does vote but mm -hmm. i get why they do it but yeah. like he would be to me like he would be an obvious one if there was a recast to like mm -hmm. stay right rather than go mm -hmm. sure but also like in saying that i'm also like there's a bit of cognitive dissonance because like he also had the least tie to the baby maybe except for tori well, I mean, Sam, obviously, because he's, like, brain dead. Mm -hmm. But, like, him and Tori don't really have ties to the baby. And I, I think, that's why I think it's so weird. Because, like, I don't think, I think it would be weird that the baby's death would cause him to change his vote. But I also think the way he voted was not the way he would actually vote Well, <laughs> in the first place. Like, that's you're talking the weird about, thing about it. You're talking about Caprica's baby makes me think of Nikki. And he promised hot dog that Nikki was going to have two dads. Sure. So I didn't even think of that. Like, yeah, what's going on with that? You know, like where's the loyalty to that kid that we saw? Um, what kind of a father abandons his children? <laughs> right. Tyrrell. Right. Um, so yeah. Now there's, there's a few things in this episode that are feel a bit, uh, crammed in in order to make the story go a certain way, you know. Because, um, yeah, I kind of agree, like, with how invested, less so in his personal relation, like, he's kind of reconciled with Adama, but Tyrrell doesn't really have, you know, 
the, the, the close ties to the people that he used to. It's more to the ship. Um, and to Nikki, I think, would be the other. Like, those two things make me feel like he would be a vote to stay more than to go. Um, yeah. Although yeah, the only no, I, the only potential for another relationship that we get is is Boomer, right? Like we get call outs to sure. um there's still that connection, like with when she was talking to Ellen in the previous episode, the question about like who would I want to love? And it cuts to Tyrrell, you know, and then Tyrrell in this episode, like, you know, Starbucks saying, like, oh, you should go watch her sleep, which is weird. But um but like he goes and it's like it's like Sam's unconscious. Like, come on. Yeah, you should do what I do. Watch oh my your, God, Starbucks! Watch your lover sleep. Starbucks is such a problem. But, um, like that he does go and like is thinking about Boomer, you know? And and hey, they're both silenced now, so that's no longer the awkward thing that it used to be. Um. So and you do get maybe it so, was meant to be all along, and it was just a bad timing and a bad patch they went through. But now there's this potential for like, hey, we could actually like be together. And Callie's not there anymore. It's he does he doesn't have sure. You know, I don't think he hated Callie the way that he acted like he did. But also, you had that sense of him settling for his second choice. Whereas, like, you did get the sense of, like, Boomer was the one. And now, in a, other than prison walls, there's nothing standing between them, you know? Right. Uh, there's a very dog-sniffy uh, element to, like, when she comes off the ship and he's, like, going over to her. Right. I, I don't know a better way to put it than that. Sure. Um, and sorry if that's like offensive. Right. Or whatever, so is it like, like, like there's very much like a like does like now that he's tapped into his newfound right. si- Cylonism, Cylonianness, right. um, Cylonness, uh, like yeah, like does he suddenly like, is he suddenly able to like tell the different eights apart, like right, right, or you know, besides besides the ways that we do it, like with hairstyles and stuff like you know there seems like that thing of like this one's boomer like very like assuredly you know right is it well is it like a function of his new cylon senses or is it just that tyrell knows boomer so well um or is it both and i don't like you could but yeah there's some are the two even distinct there's some extra sensory thing that he is tapping into that the rest of them don't have access to yeah um but yeah like just the way that he kind of goes like it it totally reminded me of like a dog sniffing another dog Mm -hmm. and i don't mean that as like like i like both boomer and tyrell as characters so i don't mean that as like i don't mean that to be offensive or anything but like it definitely had that sort of quality to it of like right yeah um and also sort of the little like glee he does kind of take out of you know suggesting not suggesting but like ratting her out basically Mm. um but yeah and then not only sort of creepy that like 
Starbucks suggests that he go watch her while she sleep, but that he also does it. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, like, yeah, like, what is he thinking there? Like, because, mm. yeah, they were, I mean, they were hot and heavy at one point, and mm -hmm. he gave her a lot of crap for being a Cylon. Like, <laughs> I mean, not going to lie, like, he, there's a little, like, yeah. uh, 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 uh hypocrisy going on there now mm -hmm. like and and like he didn't know he was either like just the way that like like now he can understand like how mm -hmm. you know someone could be a sideline and not know it and so all of that stuff and the revulsion that he like previously felt mm -hmm. like there's a reckoning there maybe for him mm -hmm. sure Right, but also understanding and and why? Well, yeah, I mean that's. I mean, I I would include that there. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. like reckoning as far as like that he kind of acted like a dick before, given that like now he's in the yeah. same boat, and that like ha that he's been forgiven by a lot of the people who mm -hmm. maybe initially didn't like the fact that he was a Cylon. Right, which Boomer has not been forgiven. Like, by hardly anybody. And, like, yeah, she shot Adama, but also she was, like, a, you know, sleeper, sleeper agent. Like, she yeah. wasn't fully in control. And I don't think that they still don't fully get that. That, like, there was an element that was beyond her control. Maybe not Which, entirely, you know, maybe she bears some responsibility. But, um, but she's been vilified in a way that even other Cylons haven't been. Like, the way that it's like, that's Boomer, put her in the brig. Like, you can't even trust her for two seconds. Um, and and other than the final five, are there any other Cylons who didn't know that they were Cylons? Like, even, even the ones who were in the fleet. Yeah. You get the sense that, like, right. they were double agents, but not, like, sleeper agents. Right, right. They, like, like, Right, like the Cavill and, yeah. Doral and, right. yeah. Well, and even Athena. Who have they right. forgiven? <laughs> you know, yeah. A Athena was never a sleeper agent. Right, right. like, so, so, other than the final five, like, Boomer's the only other one who didn't know that she was a Cylon. And, like, we talked about this, like, when there was that time where she's, like, in the cockpit and is like, I, I can't, like, she fights the urge to, like, Mm -hmm. destroy the raptor or like find not not announce that she has found wizard water at that point I yeah think, right? right there's like the whole like first like several episodes where yep, it's like yep, yep. we're out of this we need to find this and then that's the episode and there's right. like a bunch of different things right like yeah that's that's the water one i think yeah um but like she fights that urge and like overcomes that program mm -hmm. you know, in a way that no other Cylons that I think we've seen mm -hmm. have done. So there's definitely an opportunity there to like maybe yeah like okay now after after the last four seasons worth of stuff that has happened we can kind of see how you could have shot Adama and not known that that's what you were doing. Yeah, right. Which actually now thinking back on all that, because there's like that whole where she flies the raptor and sees like all the other eights and they're all like, 
we love you, Sean. <laughs> and, and like, but then like she ends up being like the one to like break the vote from like all the other eights and mm. go off on her own. Mm-hmm. Probably could talk a lot more about just her and all that stuff, but right. Um, yeah, I there definitely is like a recontextualization of like all that stuff that's going on with like Tyrrell now seeing Boomer mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Right, and you like they haven't really seen each other since she was killed by Callie, you know? Like so it's That's like true. a long time in the story since whereas like I feel Not like Not even it, on New Caprica? I don't think so. I mean they were both there, but I can't think that they share any scenes together. Yeah, I don't I'm I'm not suggesting that they do. I'm just trying to think and I don't I don't know. Um I'm pretty sure they don't. So, yeah, if you think of, like, especially in, like, the miniseries in the first season, that was, like, maybe the central romantic relationship of the story was Tyrrell and Boomer. Um, So then to have that kind of just drop out of the story, not that it stops affecting the characters, but that they basically don't even see each other until the end here um it's like a big i think because it's been so long it's easy to forget how important the reunion is that like bringing again like this show also coming to the end bringing these things full circle like that relationship has to get resolved in some way um so yeah sure um well, since we're talking about Tyrrell, then let's just talk about him and Adama real quick, because yeah, there's also like, or if, so if if Saul loves Adama more than anything else in the universe, um, that's not wholly reciprocate. I mean, not like Adama <laughs> does love Saul in his holy, own way, yeah, but not but quite. like, but like, there's you know, the Galactica fits that bill for well, Bill and. Um, like his constant like checking on the progress of like how the right you know installation of right uh and it really it really struck me how often he checks on it throughout the episode like a lot (laughs) yeah and like gets drunk about it and is like talks about it and like everything about it like yeah um is that now i know we questioned that like this it, it wasn't wholly true that Adama is bigger than this, but is it kind of getting at Gata's criticism of if only you love the people as much as you love the ship, you know? Like, I I think we can dismiss that to an extent of, like, clearly Adama cares about his people and his crew, but there's an element in there of he really does love that ship. And it, like, I don't know. There's some, there's some truth in there. I I can't disagree with that. <laughs> I I think you're right. Um I don't know. Yeah, I like I mean as far as like the Gata criticism like I I mean I think one of the things that we said about Gata was that like he was right about a lot of the diagnosis of the problems. Right, just not the and solution. I, and I think I think uh Garrick I almost said Zarek as well. 
Mm-hmm. Um, Garrick is like Gaiden's heir stepchild, but like don't go there. Um, <laughs> uh, I I right. I think I think he was also right about a lot of the diagnosis of the problem, and but just like they were both really wrong about the proper solution. The solution, right? For right. for those problems, so. Right. I, right. I don't I think you're right. Like I don't think Gaeta is entirely wrong to say that to criticize Adama for maybe loving his ship his ship mm-hmm. a little too much. Um Which is ironic given all the hand wringing about technology and the dangers of technology and the dangers of Cylons and the, all these things and it's like and he, but he but loves his ship, his ship a, like a person, you know. But his, <laughs> it's like his, his ship is an old model ship, and it's not networked, and it's right. Yeah, no, I, I, but, I, but I it, agree. but it's a machine like, with personality and and sure. a soul and life. You know, he treats it like a, a person well, and a member of his crew, and maybe appropriately so. But then, you know, there's a little bit of irony in there. I think we can. I mean. We're not going to skip over Baltar, but like to fast forward ahead to like Baltar's proposal and and stuff. Like those are the exact sentiments then that he plays on to Adama. Is that like we see the Cylons going in and out of like various parts of the ship, and we see we know that like you're adding Cylon technology to the ship, and we know how much that bothers you. So like this is the last human solution that you will ever have presented to you if you want us to help take care of this problem the sons of Ares like taking food from everyone and being jerks about stuff Mm -hmm. um we can do that if you let us and like like that's it like Baltar is very good at that sort of manipulative Mm -hmm. you know pushing of buttons of like Literally, that's the only thing that Adama would ever listen to him about because Adama is just so over Baltar. And his line about, you know, going to to the head to finish a project he's been working on. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, that seems very un-Adama-like to me. But, like, sure. like, I do think the sentiment of, like, I'm not going to sit here and listen to this Right, like, I won't even, don't even want to hear from Baltar. It's yeah. definitely... Where, yeah, it's the Adama can't even, right? Like, when it comes to Baltar at this point. Except in this one particular thing where it's like, well, dang it, like, he's kind of right. Like, there are literally no other human solutions available. Hmm. And what does that mean? It means that, like, like, which is the lesser of two evils at this point? Throwing in with Baltar or the Cylon? Like, that's, those are literally the two worst options that Adama could ever have. And it's like, Baltar wins by a hair. <laughs> like, yeah. you yeah. know. Right. I, so, yeah, I don't, I mean. Right. And Baltar pointing out the um, resonance between, which I think Adama has kind of refused to really address, which was largely the issue of the mutiny, which... Baltar kind of points out here um, is you're, you know, 
you're using the technology and it's going to become a blended ship, half Cylon and human, but that's already what's happening with the people. So you need to like face that. And the people are frightened because suddenly there are Cylons all over the place. And yeah. we, and it's not just about what they're doing to the ship, which only Adama really cares about. It's about the fact that they're here and they're in our hallways and we're sharing space with them and they're eating our food and doing all this stuff. And, you know, I mean, yeah, Baltar's manipulative and yeah, we can talk about his solution to the problem of, you know, his human solution of passing out guns and everything. But all he's doing is pointing, is getting Adama to face that, which like, I think is the thing he refused to face before the mutiny of mm. the people are scared of this blending and you need to listen to them because next time it'll be revolution instead of mutiny. You know, it'll be the whole fleet, not just some members of your crew. Um, I think that's like what somehow Baltar, like because he makes it maybe about the ship, like you're saying, is able to communicate that in a way that nobody else really has gotten Adama to listen to that before. But then that also opens up to seeing the pictures on the wall of the Cylon. Like if we're talking about blending, it's like, well, now there's like pictures of dead Cylons amongst mm -hmm. the pictures of dead people right? as well. And so Baltar's right. And like, we see that and like, there are people who are scared about it, but there's also people who are clearly not scared and who are sort of embracing that. Right. Thing. And that's, and that's, if we bring in Ty's point, that's, good that's what needs to happen is the blending that's what's yeah. going to you know save them in the end um and yeah the people are afraid but how can adama help them move past the fear rather than just ignore the fear until they can't handle it anymore um yeah so it's more about like acknowledging that this is a scary process, but it's necessary and we have to work through it, which I think is what he had to do with the goop of like, all right, yeah, I don't like this idea, but we need it if we're going to get to a planet. And so you, you get on with it and, and eventually you realize it's what's necessary. Yeah. Um, So, Baltar. Yeah. Speaking of Baltar. We need to speak about Baltar. So, I don't... All right. He's got, like, two, like, big speech type things. Mm -hmm. At least at least two. Maybe it was three. Well, it's kind of three with, like, his stuff with Adama. But we already... Right. We he covered does a that. lot of speechifying. Um, I don't know that we need to get into all the details of that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah. He returns... To his harem mm -hmm. cult thing. Army. Um, huh? Army. <laughs> yeah. His evolving. Like, yeah. All of the above, right? His flock. So. Yeah, he comes back. And, and so Paula, who we've seen before, you know, is sort of his right-hand woman. Um. And who, like, we've seen be very tough, right? Like, there was the whole, like, bathroom thing where she, like, 
right. you know, uh, initially looks like she's going to get hurt, possibly killed by, um, w- was this also a tussle with the Sons of Aries before, right? I like, think so, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then they, like, do their little counterattack, like, on the, uh, uh, you know, whatever the, the, like, religious service that they're having and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But, like, yeah, like, I mean, so, like, she's clearly has a strong personality and, and leadership and stuff and has sort of taken over since Baltar, like, ran away, basically. Um, and I'm but now he's for three minutes. Yeah. And... <laughs> now he's back. A little longer and than like, that, but... Like, a lot of changes have happened in a relatively short time of, like, their... One, they're not sort of holed up like they were before. They're going out. And apparently, like, going into, like, Dogsville and, like, trading with people to, like, get more food. And I guess they're kind of, like, hoarding it. Like, so, like, Paula's, like, the weird survivalist aunt (laughs) of the the cult, right? Um, That seems to be what they're doing, right? Like, am I -hmm. I misinterpreting? No, I think think that's right. like, Like, it's not just, like, they're going out and trading to get food so that, like, they can all eat and, like, just survive. It's like they're actively, like, hoarding stuff. Like, expecting mm-hmm. that stuff is going to go down in the near future and they're going to need to live on their own things. They've, like... Well, they've, and stuff has been going down that they've, stuff they've harassed been by people. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. now they're, like, extra protective of what they have right. and everything. Yeah, not necessarily unjustified. Um, they've also, like, scavenged guns from, like, dead bodies in the hallways mm-hmm. um which we've seen plenty of those like i mean certainly with the mutiny and stuff like mm-hmm. there were a lot of dead people and guns like just for the taking mm-hmm. um well so that you know so gaius go baltar goes with them um to dogsville and there's a whole thing. So, okay. So he meets a little boy named Gaius, who's named after his father. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of children who don't need love to be born. Um, <laughs> like, this is clearly, like, I mean, we don't get verbal confirmation, but the obvious implication is that this was a one-night stand mm. of Baltar's. Possibly, like, like, the kid's old enough that this was, like, even before the the colony attacks, you know right? that like, never occurred to me. Like that kid seems like several. Like, what age would you say the kid is? I don't know. Like eight. I guess seven. Like, seven or eight. Yeah, like maybe like I would have said like six or something. But yeah, like. But like I, it never like, occurred how to long me have that they been on the really run? His father, though. Oh really? I have to say, yeah, yeah. That's the first thing that occurred to me. Like, really, that's kid, funny. Kid's name is Gaius. Well, but I mean, not like, to say that there couldn't be other Gaiuses, but like, like he clearly takes it as like. I I thought the joke is that Baltar's ego is such that anybody named Gaius must be named after him. And and I I think it's ambiguous enough that you could interpret it that way. Sure. What I'm saying is like. If it is the kid, like it's because we know Gaius, we know Baltar was a player 
Sure. Even before. So like, like the implication is that like, like this kid has been around for a while and it's like, he's named after his father. Wink, wink. Like. Hmm. That's funny. No, I, I guess. Never, never even occurred to me. But. That's, that's odd to me that like, it, that it wouldn't even have occurred to you that like, maybe it could possibly be. I mean, I believe that Baltar doesn't necessarily remember all of his one night stands, but I feel like there would be something made of it if this was a, like either she or he would have said, oh, that night, like something about like one of them would have remembered or pointed this out. Like, I think it's, I read it totally as like a joke at his expense that like, if there are kids named Gaius, they must have been named after him. And there are no other Gaiuses out there who, you know. Yeah. You know. What? And that's fine. Like, I I don't personally think there's enough evidence one way or another. Like, I, I agree. Like, obviously, there are probably other men named Gaius who have fathered children and, you know, whatever. But, um. Yeah. No, it's just funny yeah. that... That that got that got past me, but um. Uh, so anyway, the the point being that like he uses that for his platform of like, you know, equality and justice and distributing food to everybody who needs it, including the children. Right. Um, it, it's for the kids. Um, right, so, especially the ones named Gaius. Especially but. the ones named Gaius. <laughs> like oh, this 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 adorable little Gaius, you know, that we have to like you know, single him out and everything. He's, isn't he cute? Um, but, and anyway. it inspires this altruism in him, but yeah. Yeah. So, they go back, well, so, okay, so they're doing that and the Sons of Aries show up and take all the food and, you know, Paula and a few others have some guns that they scavenge, but like, the others have bigger guns, I guess, because, Mm -hmm. The bigness of the gun matters, I guess. Um, I I don't get I don't get the other than like the sort of bigger guns, better guns. Like, mm -hmm. yes, rhetorically, I guess I get that, but like from an actual like like the size of the pistol that you have, like they all have pistols. Like maybe they have more guns. Like that I can see being an issue, but like mm -hmm. the size of like the actual gun doesn't. Either whatever size, like it can still kill people. Um, sure, sure. Although I would feel more comfortable with some heavy automatic artillery rather than like a little handgun or something. Like I think it's maybe you know I I I would imagine not being a, a gun owner myself that some are superior to others in terms of damage that they can do, but. But then, but then when the Sons of Aries come up, they all have handguns, too. I guess. None of, none of them have rifles. No, I stopped it and looked. Sure. Like, I, I checked it because, like, that was bugging me. Like, they kept talking about it. <laughs> they talk about the Marines having hmm. assault rifles, which is mm -hmm. whatever. But, like, the Sons of Aries don't have those. At least they don't show them having any of those. In in gotcha. the actual image where in the actual scene where they come up and steal the food, 
all of the Sons of Ares have hands in it. Okay. As well. So it's just, it's that, whatever, that's fine. It's it's not as big of a deal, but like it's also that thing of like just it's I don't know. Anyway. Um But yeah, so they go back and it 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 you know what's interesting, I think what's most interesting to me is that then they go back and you hear like so then Baldwin makes another speech about, you know, has Paula been saying that we shouldn't help others because we can and we just need bigger guns and better guns and we can do that and we can get that. And he gets all his people riled up and kind of pisses Paula off. But, like, ultimately, like, he does it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he convinces Adama, like we talked about before, and and goes back. And Paula's, like, happy. Like, like... So again, we have this like, you know, situation where like Baltar once again somehow manages to talk his way mm-hmm. into the good graces of like these people who are kind of pissed at him, mm-hmm. and and again not just like Adama who like obviously has reason to, but like you know people in his own group who are like starting to like not really believe in him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I mean, Baltar scenes are actually like, they're not that long. It's just that like, he has all these speeches that like make them seem long. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that there's more to say than just that other than like now they're sort of the designated food distributors, I guess. Right. And have, and, and now there's like almost, I, like a militia, maybe? Mm. Like, because, like, like, the Sons of Ares are clearly, like, sort of an illegal outfit, right? Mm-hmm. Like, their guns are probably not legitimately obtained, and, mm-hmm. you know, they're obviously terrorizing people. But, like, this is almost like Adama deputizing mm-hmm. a police force. Mm-hmm. Um, that even his Marines couldn't handle? I guess, for some reason. Mm-hmm. That seems odd to me, but we don't have to think about it too much. Right. Or the, um, or the Marines haven't been assigned to go handle anything. They've just it, it, been... seemed, it seems odd to me that Adama wouldn't have... A, like, re, like, where's Hilo? Isn't Hilo mayor of Dogsville still? <laughs> like... You know what? What's going on with him these days? But Hilo got knocked on the head. He took a little time off. Um, That's true. That's true. I mean, I, I obviously I'm saying that like half jokingly, but like, yeah, like there was a point where like Adama was assigning, and it seems like like there were Marines down there distributing stuff, right? And Adama doesn't seem like the type of person to just be. I mean, maybe this is because he's preoccupied with the love of his life. I think and, that's kind of the impression I have, you know, yeah. but yeah, but it's hard um, to, it's hard to say. And how much of this is like post earth and post mutiny when like post earth, everything was falling apart and Adama was like barely really managing any of it. And then since the mutiny, it's been like just damage control of, you know, 
like a how many marines do we even have left who we trust and like b just like everything else is falling apart dogsville is like the least of anybody's worries sure and with baltar gone the harem has been vulnerable to like all this terror and bullying from the sons of Ares and everything like you said so like this might be like a fairly recent situation is kind of the impression that i get but i don't know it's hard to like say for sure yeah yeah but i don't know like from baltar's point of view like the fact that you're right like he's successful and that he talks adama into getting this you know deal set up and he wins back the you know the goodwill of his flock and you know gives food to the hungry and you know arms the weak and all this stuff and like like this is like in his own yeah selfish um way his first attempt at like altruism like it's like actually this is like baltar come back from like with this new sense of clarity and purpose which like you can totally poke holes in the sincerity of it but all like and it has that element of ego of head six egging him on the whole time yeah you know and like he just wants to talk about inner strength and she's the one who's planning ideas about the biggest best guns but like (laughs) but it's still like he had that that little moment in when he's with you know the cylon over in the base ship of like you know, I kind of do despise my flock, but also they look up to me and I'm responsible for them. And like, this is the first of him actually trying to maybe start to live up to that, or at least do something to take care of them. And, you know, he has his self-serving moments, but it's actually like, I think a slight change of him trying to think about what's best for his people and not just himself. Sure. Sure. Well, I guess we'll see if that continues. We'll see how long it lasts, but yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, I mean, they've got guns and the, uh, the, the egotistical cult of Baltar is uh, well armed and well fed. Armed and dangerous. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, so we'll be we'll be back next week to see uh, how they fare, I guess, as well as uh, we'll see uh, Angelus without mm-hmm. a soul. Uh, well, by definition, Angelus is without a soul. But anyway, until then, sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.